0: If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you'll remember that Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia because a false message has been circulating. The message was that belief in Jesus and doing good works is what provides someone with salvation. That belief from 2,000 years ago is a belief that runs rampant today. We are surrounded by people who believe in that message of Jesus and good works. Paul is responding to that false message and providing the truth for them. It is not faith in Jesus and good works that someone must do for salvation the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, is given to us by God on the basis of faith in Jesus alone. So in our passage this morning, what Paul is doing is he is going to emphasize faith, showing that God has always provided salvation on the basis of faith. That's the first section. The second section, Paul will explain why the gift of salvation cannot be received on the basis of works. And then Paul will conclude by showing us Christ, who is the object of our faith, who saves us from judgment and provides us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the outline for this morning is going to be point one, faith. Point two will be works of the law. And point three, We'll finish with Christ. So let's move into point one where we will be specifically talking about faith. And this is found in verses six and seven. Now you might remember from two weeks ago that verse six is the conclusion of verses one through five, where Paul was saying that we live by the Spirit. Moving forward in the Christian life, we have been given the Spirit and the Spirit did not come to us on the basis of good works, The Spirit was given to us because of our faith in Jesus alone. And so that's where he was moving in verses 1 through 5. And he concluded with verse 6, which is a conclusion verse. But it's also an introductory verse to the next section. You can think of it as a hinge verse. we were introduced to Abraham. And notice how he looks at Abraham in verses 6 and 7. He says, just as Abraham believed God or had faith in God... And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those who believe or who have faith who are the sons of Abraham. So we're talking about faith, and we're also talking about it in relationship to the life of Abraham. Now, when we're talking about faith, what are we talking about? We're simply saying, when we say the word faith, we're simply saying that we are taking God at his word. It's the idea that what God says is right and best, and we lay hold of what God has said in faith. Now, verse 6 introduces us to an example, a man who lived by faith, who had faith. And we see two aspects of Abraham, this man. We see an example of faith in his life, and then we see the family of faith. The example of Abraham's faith is found in verse 6, and that's where those two words at the beginning of verse 6, just as, he's telling us, look at Abraham, he believed, he had faith, and he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul doesn't go into the story because he knows that his original audience knew the story. Let's catch the story so we're all on the same page. The story about Abraham. The story of Abraham goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God had come to this man who was a Gentile living in Ur of the Chaldees. God came to him and said, you're my man, and I'm going to give you and make you a promise. I'm going to make a promise to you that through you, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Part of that promise is that, Abraham, you are going to have a child. That's Genesis 12. Fast forward to Genesis 15. Perhaps a few decades later in Abraham's life, he is now an older man. He looks at all of his possessions. He was a very wealthy man, and he still has no child. And he appeals to God, basically, and says, All of my stuff is going to have to go to Eliezer, the servant of mine. God takes him outside of his tent one starry night. And maybe you've been outside on a very clear night. Maybe as we go into fall, the sky is a little clearer at night, not as much haze. God has Abraham look up at the stars in the sky And you can see all of the pin dots permeating the darkness, these these stars. And if you began counting the stars on the horizon in that corner, you'd soon begin to lose track of how many stars you counted. And then you squint a little bit further and you see smaller pin dots of stars out there in the dark sky. God had Abraham look up into the sky and say, look at all these stars. Can you number them? No. No. Well, so is going to be your offspring. As the stars in the sky, so will be your offspring. That was a promise that God had made to childless Abraham. One starry night. And Abraham responds to that promise that God had made. According to verse 6, it says that Abraham believed him. And how did God respond to Abraham's belief? The Bible says that God responded to Abraham's belief, not his works, but to his belief by giving him or crediting him with righteousness, the gift that we all need. He was justified. Abraham was declared right. On what basis was Abraham declared right and brought into a relationship with God? He was declared right and justified upon the basis of believing God's promise, of having faith in God's promise. So Paul can look at the Galatian church and say, I want to throw your mind back to a historical figure. I want to throw your mind back to Abraham. How did he live And they all knew that he was a man who entered into a relationship with God, not on the basis of works. The law would come 430 years later. He entered into a relationship with God simply on the basis of faith. That's the example in verse 6. Now Paul connects verse 6 to verse 7 also with Abraham. So look at verse 7. Abraham has a family. So you see the example of faith in verse 6. Now you see the family of faith in verse 7. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith. The same kind of faith that we see in verse 6 where Abraham heard the promises of God and said, okay, I lay hold of that. I believe that. I have faith. Okay, verse 7 then. Know then that it is those of faith who live the same way like Abraham who are what? The sons of Abraham. Now make no mistake, Abraham is the biological father of the Jewish nation. If you are an Israeli today, you would say that your family, your your country, your, your nationality can climb all the way up the family tree several thousand years to Father Abraham. But What is also clear in the Old Testament is that Abraham's family would be God's family. Genesis chapter 17 verse 7, God tells Abraham, I am going to establish my covenant between me and you. And your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. Throughout the Old Testament, God will look at Israel, this family tree who has entered into a covenant relationship with him and say, this is my firstborn son. You are my, like children to me. Verse 7, what Paul sees here is that sonship is not how we would expect it to happen. Paul sees sonship not on the basis of now bloodlines and the family tree. He sees sonship how, according to verse 7? According to faith, the basis of faith. A lie was circulating in Galatia. That the way someone came into Abraham's family, into God's family, was by actually becoming Jewish, men being circumcised, and people observing various aspects of the law. Paul is arguing back in this section, and remember, he was in chapter 2 with two guys on either side. Remember the two guys on either side? One was Barnabas, and the other one was Titus. Barnabas was a Jew, Titus was a Gentile, Titus was not circumcised, and Paul was preaching the gospel to be received by faith. And so from Paul's perspective here, Paul is saying the children of Abraham now are not about bloodlines. To become a son, according to verse 7, is whether or not one lives as Abraham lived. As the father goes, so goes the son. Abraham lived by faith, and so those who exercise or live by faith are the sons of Abraham. Is this consistent with what Jesus taught? It is. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews there. He knows that they are biological descendants, the family tree of Abraham. And he says to them in verse 39, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. Now, don't confuse works here with what Jesus is saying with works of the law. What were the works of Abraham? Abraham's works, his actions, his life were his faith in God's promises. So here is Jesus God the Son, the promise from heaven standing in front of them, the promised Messiah, and yet the Jews would not believe the promise that God had given to him. Abraham believed the promise. Jesus went on to say in verse 56 later on in the chapter, he said, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham looked forward to the promise, and offspring that would come, and he rejoiced that that day would come. Jesus is saying to them, if you were Abraham's children, biological descendants, you would be responding on the basis of faith. So, Jesus doesn't look at them as sons of Abraham. He looks at those who live by faith as sons of Abraham. So, Paul and Jesus are making the same point. Faith is what brings a person into the family of Abraham, into the family of God. Now, verse 8, I say, what's the benefit of being a son? Paul says in verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify whom now? The Gentiles by what standard? By works No, by faith. And now, if you like to mark up your Bible, just put marks around faith throughout and draw arrows to them. It's like this little slide that goes down through your passage in the Bible. You see faith starting in verse 6. You see faith in verse 7. You see faith in verse 8. And Paul is saying, this is all connecting us to Abraham's family. Well, who's in Abraham's family now? The Gentiles are living by faith. Faith is what makes you a son of Abraham in verse 7. Verse 8, the Gentiles are living by faith. And these Gentiles are whom God is saving and making righteous. He's justifying them. He's declaring them righteous just as he did to Abraham. Do these Gentiles belong to the biological tree of Abraham? No. Do they belong to the family of Abraham? Yes. God does not see the family of Abraham by bloodlines, He sees the family of Abraham by faith. So take your Bible, the end of chapter 3, Galatians 3 here. Just flip the page here. This is where Paul is going with his argument towards the end of the chapter. There is now, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, The one whom you believe in, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Was this always God's plan? Yeah, God does not have plan B, all right? So if we tend to think of the Old Testament as here's God's people, the Jewish nation, they kind of failed and then God had a quick scramble to come up with plan B. We have a wrong, short-sighted view of God. God had always planned that people would be brought into this family on the basis of faith. Genesis 17, verse 5. He comes to Abraham and he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For what reason? For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, a multitude of peoples. People from all over the world Would be able to be descendants of Abraham. How? Not through bloodlines. It would happen on the basis of faith. Paul teaches this elsewhere in Romans chapter 4. He says this that Abraham is the father of all who believe. Verse 13 For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law. That's the lie but through the righteousness of faith. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the adherent of the law? The biological descendants, the ethnic Jews. But now it's the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is now the father of all. And then Paul cites, again, this passage from Genesis 17, in verse 17 of Romans 4. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So here is the family, if you will, of Abraham. Now look at where he concludes in verse 7. So then those who are of, here it comes again. You can't escape it. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So here's Paul's conclusion. Those who believe are part of Abraham's family. Those who are part of Abraham's family are receiving a blessing. Now, what is the blessing? go back to verse 6. This is what God gave Abraham. The blessing is that Abraham believed he had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Folks, the blessing that we have this morning is that by faith, not by works, but by faith, we have the gift of God's righteousness applied to ourselves. What Paul is driving home is that faith brings you into this family, and God blesses those who are in this family. So a few years ago, we were involved in foster care, and what you really get familiar with right away is that to jump into foster care, there's all kinds of legal paperwork, um, just kind of exams not like a pass fail exam that you write out but people have to examine your house and interviews and they have to all do these things in order for a child to be brought into a home a child who needs a home and all that child wants is to be accepted into a home imagine this child who says I just want to be part of that family and all that that child had to do was simply believe the words of a father who stood at the door and said, Come in. Nothing else. No mediators, no assessments. No tests that have to be taken. A father stands at the front door for all of these foster children and he says, do you want to come in? And the only thing that has to happen is that child say, I believe your words that I can come in. And he's welcomed into this family. That's what's going on here. We're all without a family and God is saying, you are welcome to come, but don't come to me with all that you've done. Don't come to me trying to impress me with all of your good works, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Just come to me on the basis of faith. Believe my promises. Think of all the religions around the world today that leave people wondering if they are good enough to be welcomed by the gods. Or even mainstream America that has this religious sort of air to it where people are saying, yes, I believe that God exists, but I still have to be a good person to meet God's approval. That's a lie. Here is God who is building a family, welcoming people into Abraham's family simply by receiving salvation by faith, so that today, If a Hamas leader in a tunnel under Gaza hears the gospel of Jesus and has faith in Jesus, this Hamas leader becomes a son of Abraham today, or Hezbollah, or even a Jewish prime minister believes in Jesus, if he does, he receives the blessing of Abraham and is justified in that moment and brought into the family of God. Tonight, we're going to hear from Ryan, who's going to Um, Kenya, to minister to the Somalis who are in Nairobi. 700,000 Somalis. Somalia is 98.6% Islam, according to one study. He might have more accurate numbers tonight. There's Muslims all over the world whom God is offering the gospel to, and if they come to him and receive the gospel in faith, God says, that's whom you were, but this is who you are now. On the basis of faith. And if you're a non Christian, you're coming here, you're just kind of tire kicking this morning, I'm so glad you're here. If you walk away with just one truth this morning, this truth will expand throughout the sermon. It's this I want you to know that the Bible says that you can be brought into God's family simply by believing, simply by faith. Nothing else. The good works, I hope I have to be good enough to meet God's approval, that is a lie. Simply believe. So folks, if someone asks you tomorrow, what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. How did it go? I heard once again that the simple truth of being accepted into God's family is on the basis of faith. Do you believe? Do you believe What about works? Because that's been part of Galatians here. We can move into point number two. Paul now looks at the argument of the false teachers, those who believe that you can be justified by doing works of the law. This is verses 10 through 12. So in verse 10, Paul looks at their argument and he says, For all who rely on the works of the law Are under a curse. So some were taking the law that God had given Moses and they were using it for the wrong reason. God had given this, and it's so like us, humanity, to take the good gifts of God and just pervert and twist and distort them for all the wrong reasons. The law of Moses was never a means of salvation. The right way for people to use the law of Moses was to follow it for obedience to God. That's why David could say, oh, how I love your law. It teaches me. It instructs me. The law is like a mirror that we look into. And when we look into it, the mirror is not always kind to us. When you woke up this morning, did the mirror say, oh, you look nice The mirror shows you your puffy eyes. It shows you the drool marks off your cheeks. It shows you all kinds of imperfections in your life. That's the law. You put the law up in front of you, and it's like, I am a sinner. Later on in the chapter, we're going to see, perhaps next week, we're going to see that the law of Moses is like a teacher, a very strict teacher, the strict teacher in the classroom. You can imagine That teacher with a ruler and a stick and pounds on the desk calls everyone to attention. Everyone straightens up for just a few minutes, and then somebody starts getting squirrely in the background. And then the teacher comes down hard on that squirrely young guy. The teacher looks at that student glaring, and what happens? The name gets put up on the board. Well, what happens when the name gets put up on the board? You're guilty. You know you're guilty. You just got called out. Again, squirrely. Checkmark, mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. That's what the law is like. A strict teacher who calls out your sin and, and says, that's what you are. We're all guilty. We want something, however, that's tangible. We want to be able to be the perfect kid in the classroom. We want to be able to look in the mirror and say, like, I'm beautiful. There's no problems with me. The law will not do that for you. One author said that the law was like a train track. It was supposed to lead you along in life. However, the false teachers turned it into a ladder as an attempt of getting up to heaven can't do it. God never intended it to be used that way. So much so that Paul, look at what he says, Paul says in verse 10, those who rely on the works of the law trying to be obedient, trying to be perfect, trying to look right all the time in front of God, all those who rely on the works of the law are actually under a curse. And the reason he says that is followed up with a quotation, Deuteronomy twenty-seven twenty-six. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Who can abide by all of these things? No one can. And then there's verse 11. Now it is evident then that no one, no one can keep the law of God. No one can be perfectly obedient. No one is justified then before God by the law. You will never find in Scripture that you can do the law in order to be justified. Instead, you will find a consistent message from God that you can be justified on the basis of faith. So notice what he says next. He quotes Hebrews chap- or Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and he says it this way. The righteous, those who are justified, live by faith. Now, verse 12, moving through this quickly, reiterates it again. The law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. He's just showing us over and over again that if you were to have two buckets, one bucket before God would be the bucket of faith. The other bucket would be the bucket of good works of the law. It's only the bucket of faith that you will find salvation. It's faith alone. So verses six through nine, he's shown us faith. Abraham, the example of faith, the family of faith. Now he responds in verses 10 and 12 by saying 10 to 12 by saying, Now don't be led astray. It's not by works of the law. The Bible has even told us that it's not by works of the law. The Old Testament scriptures have taught us that. Now, what my heart is screaming out for right now is the completion of faith. And by that, I mean, faith always has an object. And what Paul does in verses 13 through 14 is he takes the faith that he started with in verses 6 through 9, and he's saying it's all of faith, all of faith, all of faith. But think about faith for just a moment. If we were to do a trust fall, somebody has to be behind you to catch you, And if you were to say, I have faith, the object of your faith is the people behind you who catch you, right? So you would say, I believe. Well, what do you believe in? I believe in the people who catch me. Verses 6 through 9. Those who come into the family of Abraham, they must have faith. Faith in whom? Faith in Christ alone. So this is verses 13 and 14. Where he brings us back and connects faith to Christ And look what it is that Christ has done in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. That language of redeeming is the language of rescuing. So again, go back to the teacher who points out all of the acts of disobedience and puts the student in detention and says, you're wrong, you have to face the punishment. Somebody needs to rescue that young boy. And here it is where Christ comes into our lives. We have been marked as guilty because we have lied. We have coveted. We have disrespected God. We've broken the law over and over and over again. We stand cursed. We stand as those who deserve the judgment of God. So Christ comes to redeem us. From the curse of the law. Verse 10, again, if you like marking up your Bible and connecting words and stuff, you'll see verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Verse 11, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things. You can't keep all the things, so you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Who's going to bring me out from underneath my guilt? It's going to be Christ. So he says, Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law. How is it that Christ would redeem us from under the curse of the law? The very next phrase. By becoming a curse for us. And so here is the theme of substitution once again. If the law is coming to me and saying over and over again, you are guilty, you are guilty, you are guilty, you are deserving of the judgment of God. That's what I'm going to receive. And Christ comes in and swoops me out of that position. He redeems me by sitting in that seat and taking the curse of God upon himself. Paul goes on to quote... An Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 21, 23, at the end of verse 13. And he says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And can't you see what Paul is doing? I mean, he's casting our mind, he's casting our eyes to Christ who is hanging on the cross. No problem. Emergencies happen. All right, so Paul is casting our mind to Christ who's hanging on the cross. But this Christ who's hanging on the cross has an old story going back to Deuteronomy 21 23, where somebody who broke the law, somebody who committed crimes against the law, punishable by death, they were stoned to death, and then their bodies were hung up on a tree. until sunset. They'd take the bodies down and bury the bodies. The curse was coming down. God's judgment, it was a scene of God's judgment against sin for the things that they had done when that body had been stoned, that person had been stoned, and that body was hung up on a tree. So when you fast forward to Christ's life, this is no accident that Christ would die by crucifixion And be hung up on a tree, hung up on a cross. He's bearing the curse that we all deserve, the curse for breaking God's law. So you think about this your brawling, your hatred, your fighting against other people broke God's law. You're a sinner. You deserve God's judgment. Your lying words and your deceptive actions in life broke God's law. Your covetous eye, your self-centered behavior that caused others to hurt, broke God's law. Your apathy and laziness and lack of Christian boldness, broke God's law. Your fear of man, your decision to not trust God, your idols, your covetousness, your carelessness, your empty heart of worship towards God, broke God's law. We all deserve God's judgment. We deserve to be cut off from him and cursed forever and ever. And Paul's point is this, but there's Christ. Christ came in and sat in your seat. He rescued you from the judgment that's being poured out from God. And there he is. There's Christ hanging on the tree as a substitute, hanging on the tree for anyone who will not do works of the law because you can't do them. That's why he's there. Christ is hanging on the tree for anyone who will come to him and say, I believe that you are the Savior, your righteous life. You are the only one who kept the law. And your life is now a gift to us. How to be received? To be received by faith alone. And so Christ is hanging on the tree for us. He's hanging on the tree for lawbreakers and sinners, bearing the judgment of God. So that the salvation of coming into Abraham's family, being justified, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, as you see in verse 14, might be received by those who have faith. So verse 14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the justification that God offers might come to Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul starts with faith in verse 6. He ends with faith. God's blessing of Christ's righteousness is received on the basis of faith. What a gift for us. Don't go out and punch the list of good works. We simply come back to Christ and we say, it's in him that I believe. Let's pray.